Awesome. Wow. Thank you, DJ. Thank you to the worship team. Man, we're so blessed to have incredible worship every week. And I don't know if you figured it out yet, but way before I get up here on Sunday, uh, we've already sung this truth over and over again over our lives. And I'm so grateful, so grateful for that. And I don't know if you figured this out either. It's just kind of dawning on me more and more every week. Isn't it true that fear, it's at the bottom of everything, isn't it? As you think about your life, and you think about so many things that have happened or things that went this way or that way or they should have gone this way or they should have gone that way or you look at the news or you look around at your family or your work or whatever, there's always this fear, this anxiety rising. Man, it's huge. It's huge. So I want to ask you today, what's your first response when you're afraid? Think about that for a minute. What's your, what's your like initial response? What's your first response when you're scared, when you're terrified, when something uh, spooks you? What, what's, your, what's your initial reaction uh, when you become afraid? The experts tell us that there's, they used to think there was two, now, now there's three, they're adding on to it. Uh, initial responses that people have when they're afraid. So you, you're probably familiar with these. That they say that when you're scared, you either respond with fight, flight, or the new one I think is freeze. And so, you know how this works. You know, something, something scares you, it startles you. Some of you, you come up swinging. You're, you're fighting, right? That's your initial reaction. Some of you, when you get spooked or scared or startled, uh, your initial reaction is to, is to flee, to run away. Some of you, your initial reaction is just to freeze. You know, you just, you just get real still. You're like, what? What's going on, right? And what happens in that moment, the experts say, is that like your brain, is, which is incredible, it takes all the available data it can in this moment from all five of your senses and like in a fraction of a millisecond, it's like calculating, you know, what, what you should do. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to cause in you this immediate response to, 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 for your survival, it's self-defense, right? To either fight, flight, or freeze. So you may, you know, something scares you, you may come up swinging, something scares you, you know, you may run away from it, something scares you, you may just freeze and, you know, play dead, I don't know. But, you know, you're trying to, in that moment, you know, pr- protect yourself and survive the moment, whatever it is. So you know how this works. The other day, and I'll just, again, I do this often. These are confessions of a bad father. Um, the other day, uh, I'm on the couch watching a movie with my son, who I love, by the way. You could get the wrong idea if you come every week. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're watching this movie, and it's one of those movies. It's a kid movie, but, you know, it's one of those parts where, um, you know, the, the scene gets a little darker. The music gets a little lower. The suspense is building, and you don't know what's going to happen. And like mentally and physically, you're like leaning in. You're like, watch, watch, watch. And it builds up to the highest moment. The tension is so thick. The apex is right there. And it's right before whatever it is happens. I did what every good father would do. I was like, ah! (laughs) I jump and I scream. And Will jumps and he screams. And then he turns around and punches me right in the stomach. So his automatic response is fight. I'm not sure what that says about him or his dad. But I guess this is what we do, right? You know, we come up swinging sometimes. I think for a lot of us, maybe not all of us, and maybe not all the time, but for a lot of us, our auto response is, is fight. I remember, maybe you remember this, um, 
Because we, we realize at some point, you know, the older you get, you know, the smarter you get, hopefully. And, uh, you know, I remember in sixth grade, a really smart kid at that point, um, you know, you figure out that every time you're scared, every time there's a disagreement, you can't, you, you can't throw a punch every time. It, you, like, you've got to find different weapons to use. And so I remember, maybe you remember this, in middle school, sixth grade, having a real, you know, big, frustrating conversation in the classroom with another guy, another kid in the class, and we're going back and forth. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, well, da-da-da-da-da. And it comes down to what every argument comes down between two boys. Oh, yeah, this is where it ended. Well, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> and you know what he said? Uh-uh. My dad can beat up your dad. As if our dads are going to gather after school in the playground and fight over whatever it is we're having a problem with. Probably, you know, whose red pencil is that? You know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But that's part of what happens in us, isn't it? Like we figure out that we can't always throw punches when we get afraid, when we get angry, when we have an auto response to fight back. So what we do is we find other weapons to use. For a lot of us, those weapons are our words. And boy, man, we know how to turn a phrase. We know how to push those buttons. For some of us, it's control. We're afraid the way we fight back is control or power, or money, or position, or influence, or the ability to manipulate the situation. Some of us, when we get afraid, the way we fight back is, is we get a group of people and we galvanize them around our ideas, and we all get hot and bothered by it, and, and it's against these people and their ideas. And, you know, it's the same thing. We're fighting. We're waging war. We've just chosen different weapons. Today, what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to rethink the weapons you choose when you're afraid and the reaction that's rising within you is that desire to fight. We see this in the world all around us. It's all about who can talk the loudest. It's all about who can get their way. And what we're afraid of, what we're all afraid of is losing. But what we're afraid of is, what if I don't get my way? Or what if it doesn't work out the way I think it should? Or what if it goes that direction and I think it should go that direction? Or what if this doesn't work it out in a way that, that best accommodates what I want and what I think and what I feel? And we don't want to lose. And when we don't want to lose something, we come out fighting for it. But I think as followers of Jesus, and I want you to hear me because I'm not saying we shouldn't fight, okay? Now that may surprise you. That, that may be where you thought I was going. As followers of Jesus, I think we have to choose, when we engage the battle, I think we have to choose different weapons. And I think right here in this tension is where I want us to live for a few minutes this morning. And I want to ask you to think, when you engage the battle, when your auto response is to fight, I want you to rethink the weapons you choose to take into that battle with you. So if you've been around the last few weeks, what we've been doing for the last few weeks, in fact, if you've missed it, I would encourage you to go to the app or go online or grab the podcast and listen to these past messages on, on fear. Because what we've tried to do is to go back and look at some of these, these heroes of faith. These are characters mostly from the Old Testament who, who lived incredible lives, did incredible things for God. But if you, if you reread their stories, what you'll find in almost every case was there was intense fear. But somehow God worked with them and God worked through them and sometimes God worked in spite of them to do incredible things, incredible faith developed out of these stories. 
And so what we're trying to do is, as a church is lean into this question, how do we choose to believe? How do we choose faith over fear when fear is such an auto-response in all of our hearts? Well, there's a story you probably know. Uh, he's one of the most famous characters in our Bible, although there's only like three chapters about this dude. You know, he's, he's sort of a, a small character, but he's very famous because he's a guy that's known for struggling with his faith. And I think that's why he's so famous, because so many people identify with this guy because of the way he struggled in his faith. It's a guy by the name of Gideon. And so if you turn your Bibles to Judges 6, 7, and 8, if you have a, a device you want to turn on and open up your Bible app, you can go to Judges 6, 7, and 8. We're going to dig into a few verses. We're going to skip around. I don't have time to read you the whole story. But most people love Gideon because he is a guy who really struggled with God. He struggled because he, he didn't have much faith in himself. And I think if he were here today, he would tell you he didn't have much faith in God either. Uh, the time, just like so many other times, was a time when the people of God were under oppression. This is sort of a common theme, you know. They had turned away from God. They had started worshiping false gods. And because of that, they fell into oppression by, a, by another enemy. This time, the enemy, just so you know, is a people by the, by the name of the Midianites. And they're, a, they're a, a people with a large army, and they're very oppressive. And they have oppressed Israel, the people of God, in an incredible way. I mean, they have, they have not only conquered them as a people, but they've taken all their livestock. They've taken all their wheat. They've taken all their food. Like seven years this has gone on, and the people are just living in severe oppression. They're starving. They're desperate. And the Bible says that it gets so bad, maybe you've experienced this in your own life, it got so bad that they finally did the only thing that they could do, their last resort, they prayed. They called out to God. And God, if you didn't know it, I want you to know it again this morning, he is so good and he is so kind. Like it would be easy for any of us if someone had been you know, mean to us you know, for seven years and hadn't listened to us or talked to us, that when they called for help, it would be like, you know, click, no thanks, you know. You blew me off for seven years. I don't have time for you. God is not like us. They call out to God and God answers. And God goes, he sends the angel of the Lord to a man by the name of Gideon. And when he finds Gideon, just so you know, Gideon, well, he's not pictured as the most courageous person He's literally hiding in a wine press uh, doing what's called threshing wheat. Now, I don't know much about this, but apparently normally when you're threshing wheat, you're going to make you know, bread later. You do this outside so you can throw it up in the air and the wind carries off the chaff. He's, he's enclosed at the bottom of a wine press threshing wheat down here to hide because he's so scared, he's afraid of the Midianites. And I want you to hear what happens when, when God approaches Gideon. He comes to him and he says, you're going to be my man. You're going to lead Israel back. You're going to help, help them conquer the Midianites and become the people of God again. And then in verse 15 of chapter 6, Gideon says, but Lord. He's like, um, how can I rescue Israel? Listen to what he says. He says, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. In my entire tribe, my clan's the weakest. And I am the least in my entire family. He's like, God, I hate to tell you this. <laughs> Thanks for calling. You got the wrong number. <laughs> like, this, you're at the wrong house. This is the wrong, I'm the wrong man for the job. Gideon didn't have any faith in himself. He didn't have any faith in God. And it's at this point in the story that I, I just love, again, I love the heart of God. Because even though Gideon didn't have much faith in himself or much faith in God. God had such incredible faith in himself and in Gideon. 
And he comes to Gideon, and he chooses someone that maybe nobody else would have chosen to do what everybody else thought was impossible. He comes to Gideon. But Gideon is scared to death. And why is he scared? You know why he's scared. He's scared because he knows if he's in charge, like he's done the math. You write this out on paper, Gideon, head of army, Israel, loses. <laughs> you know, Like I know how the story ends, Gideon's thinking in his head. This is not going to go well for us. He's afraid of defeat. He's afraid of failure. He's afraid that if, if he leads Israel into battle, they are going to lose. That's his fear. That's his fear. And he's probably right. He's probably right. He probably thinks, like a lot of us think, that he wasn't enough. Like, I'm the least in my tribe. You don't even know who I am. If you, knew, if you had done your homework on me, you would know this is not going to go well for us. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever enough. Maybe you felt this way before. You know, you've got the wrong guy, God. But God says to him in verse 16 these words. He says, I'm going to be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon, you're going to win. This is going to work out. Not because of you, but because of me. Well, the story goes on, and maybe one of the most famous parts of the story of Gideon is the fact that over the next few verses, he's going to test God three different times. He puts God to the test. He's like, God, if it's really you, if this is really going to work, prove it to me. And the cool thing is, is that every time Gideon puts a test before God, God responds. And I'll be honest, you've probably heard this a a thousand times. Lots of people have criticized Gideon for this, for his lack of faith, for testing God. Who would do that? Who Who would have the gall to test God Almighty? God never rebukes Gideon for testing him. God never gives him a hard time. Scripture never gives Gideon a hard time. We've done that, but the Bible didn't. We've done that, but, but God didn't. It seems that God is incredibly patient with Gideon in building and rebuilding his faith. And I think there's something in that for you and me too. That God's kindness and compassion toward Gideon, even through all of his questions and even through all of his proposals, God answers every one of them as he tries to, to rehabilitate Gideon's faith and build it back up. And finally, after putting God to the test three times, and after God answers the test three times, Gideon figures out that this is going to happen. And he's going to be God's man. So I want you to fast forward to Judges 7, verses 1 through 7. And I want you to hear what happens. So Gideon and his army, he's had an army now, got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The the armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If you let, if I let all of you fight the Midianites... The Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave the mountain and go home. Now just pause right there. If we rewind a little bit, we find that the Midianite army is so huge, they have, they have more camels, the Bible says, than the sand on the seashore. So if they have that many camels, just imagine how big their army is, how massive their army is. Even 32,000 men, the army of Israel, would pale in comparison to the army of the Midianites. And God comes to Gideon. He gives them this army of 32,000. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe they have a fighting chance with this many. And God looks at Gideon and says, whoa, 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 whoa. You got too many. What's Gideon thinking here? Like, seriously, God? What are you talking about? 32,000? I don't have enough. And you're saying I have too many? I have too many? So God says, therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. What? So Gideon tells him this. And get this, 22,000 of them went home. 
leaving only 10,000 there to fight. God has just reduced Gideon's army from 32,000, maybe just maybe enough to have a fighting chance, down to 10,000, a drop in the bucket compared to what the Midianites have. And Gideon's supposed to go to battle with 10,000 warriors. But the Lord told Gideon, guess what? There's still too many. You may know the story. Great story. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Verse 5. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide them into two groups. In one group put all those who cup their water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths to the stream. Then the Lord told Gideon, guess what? With these 300 guys, I'm going to rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. What is going on? You've just taken my army from 32 down to 10, down to 300 guys. And we're supposed to go against the army of the Midianites. They have oppressed us and terrorized us and destroyed our crops and taken our livestock for seven long years. Now we maybe just maybe have a fighting chance and you've reduced us down to just 300 people to go to battle against this army that has legions. How is this going to work? Listen to what happens next. And after this, I have a question for you. So, so listen up. Verse 15, Gideon said, all right. If he was in Texas, he would have said, cowboy up. Get up. Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. There's that many of them. He divided the 300 men into three groups. And listen to what he gave them. He gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. And then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. And when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too. All around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So it was just after midnight and after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew their ram's horns. They broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars, and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords, and those who were not killed fled. This is just a crazy story, isn't it? Like, can you imagine being in that army? You're one of the 300, and you're on the the rim of the the camp. The Midianites down there are scattered. You can see their lights and their tents. There's just, you know, it seems like millions of them, and you're one of 300. How terrified are you in this moment? And you look in your hands, and and here's the question I have for you. Where where were their weapons? Okay, there were 32,000 of us. Then there were 10,000 of us. Now there's, there's 300 of us. And you've told us to line up around the camp of the Midianites. And, and you've, to fight, you've given us a clay pot, um, a jar, you know, a clay pot, which is a jar, a, a torch, and a trumpet. Do what? Like, on what planet does this make sense? You know, where is the logic in this? If you're the commanding officer of any army, you know this is a joke. How terrified are you in this moment? 
if you're one of the 300. And you're looking down on these men with their camels and their swords and their bows and arrows and their slingshots and whatever else they got. And all you got is a torch, a pot, and a trumpet. Where in the world were their weapons? Where in the world were their weapons? And then the most amazing thing happens. They win. They win. It works. The Midianites, so confused, end up killing each other and then running away. And if you didn't know any better, you would think, this is crazy. But if you follow the story of the people of God at all, what you might think is this is just par for the course. I mean, think back about it. Do you remember when this same group of people left Egypt? They had been enslaved there for hundreds of years. And they left Egypt, and, and then Pharaoh and his armies are, are running behind them. And these Israelites, they didn't have any swords. They, didn't have, they were slaves all their lives. They're just running for their lives. God parts the Red Sea, and they run right through it. And then all of a sudden, as the, as the Egyptian army comes in behind them, what happens? God releases the waters, and they kill all the Egyptian soldiers. Or there was a time that after that, they were going to Jericho. They were going to take the promised land that God was going to give them. And the city was fortified. And so God came to Joshua, the leader at the time, and he said, here's the battle plan. March around the city seven days, right around the walls. Seventh day, do it seven times. On the last day, here it is again, blow your trumpets and then shout. And watch what happens. They do. The walls fall inward and destroy the city. And then here with Gideon. All three times... All three times, Israel wins against incredible odds without ever lifting a sword. All three times, they engaged the battle. But all three times, they did it. And they never raised a sword. Think back, just over the last day or week or month maybe, What's the last conflict you had with somebody? What's the last disagreement? Where was the tension at? Who was it with? What was your weapon of choice? Are you one of those people that when you fight, you're really good with your words? You know how to hurt people? Are you one of those people that like control and you want to have control and what you're afraid of is losing control so when there's tension or conflict, you try to control everybody? Are you one of those people who like to throw your weight around and your influence and your position and your power? And when there's tension or conflict or when there's a problem, you wield your power like a sword, maybe because of your position or your money You see, what's so surprising to even me is that as as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I think we should know this by now, that there's a different way to do battle. And that when there is a war to be fought, that maybe, just maybe, it's time to lay our weapons down too. And this is my encouragement today for us, church. This, This is the whole deal then maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to lay your weapons down. 
I wasn't planning to say this, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say this, and you can remind me later if you want. But church is one of those places where we are really good. We are really good at wielding a sword and pretending like it's okay and even calling it Christian and rationalizing why we're doing it and making everyone else think we're right. But what we're really doing is out of fear. We've chosen our weapon. We've chosen our weapon. And we're not afraid to hurt whoever we need to hurt to get our way. The experts tell us there's three ways to respond when you're afraid. Fight, flight, or freeze. Think what Gideon, one of, the, one of the things, he teaches us many things, one of the things he teaches us. Maybe there's a fourth way. And maybe it's faith. Maybe it's walking right up to the battle lines and laying down those traditional weapons of war and picking up faith in God and asking him to fight the battle ahead for us. There's a, a couple, two, two years ago, there's a couple by the name of Jonathan and Melissa Helser. You'll see the picture on the screen. Uh, they wrote a song, a song called No Longer Slaves. And, and when asked about why they wrote the song, in fact, I'll, I'll read you what Jonathan said. Uh, he said he had this picture of the Israelites going across the Red Sea. I love what he said. He said it was the moment that they left their slavery And they became the children of God. And they saw the massive love of their father that would part the Red Sea and bring them into his promised land. He said, I just heard the lyrics, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. All my fears are drowned in perfect love. What I would love to be true of us, Riverside, is that we could be a people, a church, the people of God, who have let all of our fears be drowned in the perfect love of God so that we can lay our weapons down, no longer be slaves of fear, and have our trust in a God who can fight for us. Uh, We'll wrap up in just a minute, but I want to just push pause, and I want us to sing these words. These are words from this song that say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. DJ and the worship team are going to lead us. I want you to just just sing this with them as as you learn it. It's real easy. And I want you to reflect on what, where is that most recent conflict in your life? And what fear are you operating out of? And what weapons do you need to lay down? Let, let's sing these words. Now I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Now I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Now I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Slay. 
followers of Jesus, we, we have to be different, don't we, church? If you know the story of Jesus, you know that on the, the night that he was betrayed, that Peter drew a sword. And he took it, and, and he, he took a jab at this one guy, and he cut off his ear. And I don't know how he did it. Like, was he aiming for his head and just caught the ear? Was he, how did he not cut his shoulder? He only got the ear. I'm, I'm guessing if you're in a sword fight and you're picking teams, you're picking Peter last. Because I don't know how else you just cut off a guy's ear. But he did. He did. But Jesus looked at Peter after this little incident happened. And I'm guessing Peter was a little embarrassed that that's all he got was an ear. And he said these words. He said, Peter, put away your sword. Peter, put away your sword. And I don't know, but I think if Jesus was standing here today, he might look at us and say, put away your swords. Put away your swords. And that night, I think the disciples thought, I think they thought it ended in defeat. Because after they tried to fight back, Jesus was arrested. They fled. But you and I both know that story didn't end in defeat. Because three days later, Jesus rose again. So whatever you're afraid of, when you think about laying down your weapons... I want to ask you to have no fear. Do you need to engage in the battles around us? Yeah, the battles that matter, absolutely. But when you do battle, do it with faith. Pick up the weapon of faith. Believe and trust in God. Let him wage the war. Let's be people who put down our swords and follow Jesus. That's who we're called to be. 
we're going to sing again. And if, uh, man, if you're struggling this week and you need to pray with somebody, our elders are going to kind of make their way around the room and they're going to pray with different people that they know or are in need of prayer. The prayer cards you give us every week, they, man, we pray over those every week. And, and we want to be praying with you and for you. But if you need prayer, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed. Just go up to one of, those, one of those small little circles that are praying and put your hand on someone's shoulder and, and, and they'll pray for you too. But let's sing this song together and let's, uh, let's pray together and let's commit this week. Whatever battle you were engaged in, let's, let's lay down our swords and let's turn that battle over to God. Let's sing.